0: Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good, live from Iowa Catholic Radio's Mercy Live Up Studios.
1: The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner.
2: I'm Bo Marr.
1: (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) Well, Bud, uh, you just run. You, 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 you scared me so much, you run my my intro. Uh, this is The Uncommon Good. I'm Bo Bonner coming to you live from Mercy Live Up Studios here on Iowa Catholic Radio in Des Moines, Iowa, where I'm the director of the Zeta Institute for Foundation and Ethics and Leadership and uh, Mercy uh, Director of Mission and Ministry at Mercy College of Health Science. You can find us at zetainstitute.com and mchs.edu. Bud, what are you scaring up in Pittsburgh?
2: No, I'm the director of the National Institute for Newman Studies, colloquially known as NINS. You can find us at newmanstudies.org.
1: So um, it's that time of year, bud, that scary time of year where uh, city governments everywhere realize that if you're north of the Mason-Dixon line, the, lo- the f- ground's going to freeze, so they're basically fixing like every third road. I don't know if where it's out in Pittsburgh, but certainly in Des Moines, uh, that's yeah. what they're doing. Uh, right in time for kids to have to sneak around uh, safety cones dressed as random goblins asking for candy now out here in des moines uh this is something still haven't got used to they have beggars night which happened yesterday rather than halloween we're supposed to go around and tell jokes and get candy um what do they do in pittsburgh and how much are french fries a part of halloween in pittsburgh
2: (laughs) no i gotta admit though i love this time of year and uh What's the What's the old Vietnam film where the guy says, like, I love the smell of napalm in the morning? <laughs> Apocalypse Now? Probably, yeah, I'm not going to talk about that movie. But uh, I love the smell of, of theology in the morning, and I feel like with with Halloween and then for some of our friends and family, it's Reformation Day, et cetera, et cetera, people have a lot of theological questions on their minds. So,
1: oh, yeah. Uh, it's a dead. little
2: easier to get into those topics than usual. I, I don't know, but um, Pittsburgh... Not a lot of, like, distinct traditions. They seem to be pretty gung-ho about Halloween, but there's no beggars night. And I think you get your candy without telling a joke.
1: Yeah, so people ask, what about you, Bo? When you grew up in Oklahoma, and I'm always like, "Uh, when you get over 10, you go raiding. And they're like, what's raiding? And then I'm like... Uh, raiding is sort of like kind of accepted vandalism, much <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like even adults participate in. So, uh, I don't know how much, I don't know what the Statue of limitations for my dad egging, um, teenagers is, so I better not go into all of those details, but, um, it really is a sort of like a fun time of year for various reasons, like you said. Um, just it's going on the smell meta- uh, metaphor here, you walk yeah. around and even with the leaves and everything like that, um, it reminds us, right, uh, memento mori, that things uh, come into this world and then they fall away and die and that these are you know caught up in the changing of the seasons, but also this idea of uh, rebirth and new life. And uh, that's what we're going to do on the show today. I, I walked in and I'm like, hey, but what's the show about today? And I said, you know, su- suffering and death, that stuff <laughs> that people really line up to hear. Uh, we have uh, two people who have both have books um, yep. that deal with this. Uh, could, can you remind me who the, who's the first, uh, I, I'm forgetting what his book is, our first guest.
2: Yeah, our first guest is Dr. Bob Schutz, and he's he's the director at the um, John Paul II Healing Center in Florida. But Tan, Tan Books has recently published a uh, reflection he gave on real suffering, finding hope and healing in the trials of life. So I think it's going to be real helpful for our listeners as we think through like the role of suffering in our life and how we Return that back to God. And
1: then in the second half of the show, we have Sister uh, Teresa Alethea Noble, um, who is uh, it's FSP. I don't. I forget which uh, order she belongs to. She can uh, fill that out uh, for us. But you, a lot of people might know her on Twitter. She has quite a following. Um, she's known as the Memento Mori Nun or the Nun that always talks about skulls uh, because she really has taken it as part of her, uh, you know, outreach to the world to talk about. Remembering our death. And in fact, she has a book coming out, Remember Your Death, Memento Mori Journal, uh, that prepares people uh, for that and precisely thinking with Lent uh, coming up, or maybe if you can do that in Advent. so she'll be in the second half of the show. Um, You know, but if you need to uh, strategize about either where you're going and getting, uh, you know, writing your jokes down for um, Beggar's Night or like where the best pierogies and French fries are uh, in Pittsburgh how you're going to run away from the cops in Medford, Oklahoma. If you need to print that out, we're underwritten by Cartridge World. And they're always there for your printing needs in case you need to do a variety of things this time of year.
2: I was thinking of Cartridge World on Monday night. This is just my weird sense of humor, but I was watching Monday Night Football between the Patriots and the, um, and, and the Bills, and they were scanning the crowd, and a Bills fan had just, like it looked like as he was leaving work, he printed out on a normal size printer paper the Patriots cheat, <laughs> like in 16 point font. <laughs> it, Times it was New Roman. Like and... folded it up and like suck it in his jacket. I was like, that guy did not even waste time getting poster board. He just went to his his printer specialist <laughs> in ours? and printed off like a makeshift sign. But in Buffalo, he probably doesn't have access to. As awesome of a company as Cartridge World.
1: Well, if that poor Bills fan ever moves to Des Moines, and we got one. Our friend, uh, uh who was at uh, Lord Rich, he likes the Bills. Poor guy. Okay. Uh, but uh, uh, if he moves there, he can get his printing needs pointing out that the Patriots cheat at eight hundred one seventy third Street in Windsor Height, Cartridge World. Always, as also, I messed it up. As all, anyway, I'm not gonna even try that again. Also, as always. Also, as always, uh, we are underwritten by Mercy College of Health Sciences. Uh, Like I said, mchs.edu. This time of year, also, not only we talk about suffering and death, it's also midterms. They just got over, and it's sort of like the changing of the seasons. I don't want to say that midterms and stuff like that are like uh, dying leaves, bud, that fall to the ground, but maybe it's all this hard work, right? They're planting into the ground, and after a a winter of uh, studying and worrying about things, um, they'll they'll bloom uh, fully uh, during graduation. I'm probably straining that a bit, but the point being is – yeah, I, I just started my class because I was doing an eight-week one, but you, yeah. you just got done with midterms, right?
2: No, I know. You know, you were talking about memento mori and just, like, the changing of leaves, calls to mind, these things. Whenever you're a teacher, you're reminded often of, like, how quickly time passes because I feel – so I just got done with week nine or starting week nine of the course. And so the students are really, like, honing in and kind of, like, hitting the final lap of the semester.
1: So uh, just so you know about it, we, when, if you go to Mercy College, you have professors like Bud and I who think uh, that our students are a part of the fixture of the, the, the changing of the seasons. That's how much uh, you mean to us. So, um, Bud, we're, we got, we're up to the break. We need to let, uh, go to the break. So this is The yep. Uncommon Good. We'll be back after this. But if you want to comment uh, on our show, if you want to have any uh, questions for either of the authors that we're going to talk about, if you want us to tell us to lighten up and stop talking about suffering and death so much, whatever you might want to do, that's why we have the Zip Whip Line. 515-223-1150, 515-223-1150. If you do hashtag UCG for the uncommon good, we'll be able to look at it not only when the show's live, but later as well. So that's the Zip Whip Line. 515-223-1150, 515-223-1150. 5152231150 5152231150 This is the uncommon good we'll be back after this
0: Impoverished children break everyone's heart, but poverty seems like such a big problem. What can one person do to make a difference? For 17 years, Blessman International's passion has been to connect the resources of our donors with sustainable programs that impact the lives of impoverished children in South Africa. Our donors are feeding thousands of hungry children every week, providing basic water and sanitation for impoverished communities, and sharing the love of God in practical ways every day. Go to www.blessmaninternational.org and make your donation today. Vitae Family Care is part of the Iowa Catholic Radio family. Pro-life physician Greg McKernan, a DO, has practiced for 27 years seeing patients of all ages with just about every kind of need. Dr. McKernan lives his faith as a physician and is trained in NAPRO technology, allowing him to diagnose and treat many female conditions and even markedly reduce the occurrence of a miscarriage. VitaeFamilyCare.com Remember, Vitae is Latin for life.
1: Support for The Uncommon Good is provided by Cartridge World. Cartridge World is an industry leader delivering high-performance printing products that help you save time, money, and print great.
2: Perfect for businesses, home offices, college students, or busy moms trying to find affordable printing supplies including ink, toner, paper, or printers. For business customers, pickup and delivery are available... Products are guaranteed or full replacement. Cartridge World, your low-cost, environmentally friendly printing experts. 801
1: 73rd Street in Windsor Heights, 515-564-7400 and online at cartridgeworld.com. We're back with the uncommon good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Boo And I promised, but I'd do that once. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, here we go back with the show. You mind introducing our guest for us today?
2: Yeah, this morning we're really happy to have on the show Dr. Bob Schutz, uh, who holds an undergraduate degree from Columbia, two graduate degrees from Florida State in, uh, family relations. He's the founder of the John Paul II Healing Center, located in Tallahassee, Florida, and is a nationally renowned speaker, presenter, and writer. Um, he's recently retired from his private practice as a marriage and family therapist, so that he could devote himself full time to um, to writing and leading conferences for the John Paul II Healing Center. Doctor Schutz, thanks for being with us. Uh. Thank you, Bob Bud. Good to be with you. Am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Yep, shoots is correct, yes okay and it, it looked like in the book that you have a Pittsburgh background.
3: I do uh, I'm, I'm from Pittsburgh originally.
2: so my family and I um, we moved to Pittsburgh a little over a year ago, and um, I've been kind of mediating Pittsburgh culture to uh, to the listeners in Iowa. yeah uh, when you were when you were young, were they already putting french fries on salads? Uh, I don't remember that, uh, <laughs> but y- Yins guys probably did. No, nah. oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Yinsburg. Well, I've really um, um, I, we appreciate you being on the show, but I've been enjoyed Doctor Schutz working through your book recently, Real Suffering, Finding Hope and Healing in the Trials of Life. I was wondering if you'd be willing, like one thing I really enjoyed about the book is the many personal stories that you work into your reflection on on this question of suffering. Could you talk some about uh, the inspiration for writing this book?
3: Uh, yeah, well, actually, I was asked to write the book by Saint Benedict Press before several events happened, and so it was, I was in the middle of preparing it when uh, oh, wow. both my father and my wife uh, became terminally ill and and shortly died after that. And so I, you know, I started the book speaking from my experience as a therapist and as a teacher. And then all of a sudden, I'm brought right in the middle of it, uh, in my own life.
1: Well, uh, Doctor, above shoes, thank you for joining the show. We really do appreciate it. Um, when when people think about uh, how um, therapists are going to help you deal with your suffering, I think sometimes people get the impression that if in the midst of suffering, the only sort of goal is to eliminate it or get through it. It seems to me that what your book really tries to 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 show people right is that this a season of suffering in in our understanding of the tradition is something better than just, you know, seeking um a a balm or a band-aid. Can can you go over what you think that the the Catholic difference allows us to transform suffering uh into rather than just surviving it?
3: Yeah, I, I as a culture uh, as we all know, we do everything we can to avoid it, um, and yet we cause ourselves more suffering by that, uh, just because of the disconnection from our our hearts and our relationships and the people around us. You know, and obviously, it, with the with the passion being at the center of our faith, the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus, everything is defined in that light, and. He came, you know, where where most of us run away from suffering, He came to earth and entered into our suffering and entered into it in the deepest possible way, which is what love does. You know, love doesn't continue to run from suffering and cause more suffering, but, but love comes and walks together in the middle of suffering so that we can work through it uh, to the other side.
2: You know, one line from the book that stood out to me and And here you're really channeling uh Saint paul, but you you talk about rejoicing and suffering yeah. for Christ is evident in all of the saints, and that if we look at the lives of the saints, we see this as a recurring pattern and and the, their witness now um i know you I know you address this in the book Dr. Schutz, but I'm wondering if you could talk for our listeners like um i know I know sometimes when i've had these kinds of conversations with students or friends there is uh, there can be a misunderstanding where um especially from those who are maybe outside the church, they say, like, well, does does Catholicism, in a sense, glorify suffering then? And should we try to ever, yeah. say, extract ourselves from a negative situation? There's kind of misunderstandings. When we talk about rejoicing our suffering, there's ways to understand that rightly in ways that maybe are less helpful.
3: Yeah, truly. I, I think some of the ways it gets distorted, as you're saying, is we, we tend to think that suffering is somehow a good in itself, and it isn't. You know, John Paul II talks about Suffering is an experience of evil. It's an experience of the lack of the things that we need and desire and the the painful things that come in a broken world. So it's not the suffering itself that we rejoice in, because you don't rejoice in evil, but you rejoice in God in the middle of suffering because of what he does in us uh, through the suffering. And so just like we rejoice in Jesus' cross, we don't rejoice in the evil that happened to him. But rejoice in the love in which he bore it, and the and the fruit of that, uh, and so the same in each of our own lives.
1: Um, one of the things that I think of uh, is we 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 have a world where it's true. It seems like we try our best to ignore suffering, or like you said, maybe like uh, fetishize it. We're running. Yeah. We're running both ways. Um, but it seems like in a world even where like people try to have an antiseptic life, where like we we wake up and if we feel the slightest tinge, we you know get ibuprofen or we or yeah. we, we ignore ourselves. Right? It's yeah. funny. I, I think, uh, and this is going to sound weird, but I think we'll come back around to, to being uh, cogent to your your book. It seems weird to me that, like, people will willingly choose to go suffer in, like, displaced ways. I'm thinking that Bud is a Nebraska fan, and you're at Florida State, for instance. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) these two great programs, right, having just horrid seasons, and people will (laughs) invest a lot into – I always point out to my children, right, that sports is mostly good for making 98% of everyone in that sport sad, ultimately. At
3: least 50% of the time. Yeah, right. So –
1: do you think that there's weirdly, like, without going into uh, fetishizing suffering, it doesn't it seem strange that, like, when people live in a world like ours that is as relatively pain free as most of the human condition, it's almost like we seek it out because we we know it's like we're losing the friction uh, uh, to to walk on Earth unless we we understand how to suffer well. I don't know if that makes sense. If if that if that lines up with what you're
2: saying.
3: Yeah, I I, I would still prefer my Seminoles to win. (laughs) I understand. uh, That's why I'm a Steelers fan. There you go. Uh, But, uh, you know, you you think about that in terms of most of the great artists, you know, like Rembrandt or Caravaggio, their art comes out of their personal suffering. Uh, A lot of the great music comes out of people's personal suffering. A lot of the great literature comes out of that. You know, there's something... So deeply human about our suffering that we can relate to and connect to, and so I think uh, I think those whether we we seek it out or not, I don't know, but it, if we really pay attention to it, it's it's like a gold mine in our life because it as as uh, Father Jacques Philippe talks about it, it opens our hearts uh, if we suffer well.
1: So and te- oh, teaches us to love. Well, you know what? That means that uh, if, if we we get the chance, we really need to be looking at uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, and Tallahassee, Florida for the next big wave of some good songs and some really great paintings.
2: Maybe, well, maybe that Oscars. Don't, is I don't know that, that we have... all
3: suffer well. <laughs> okay. Right. I, I maybe at the end of the year think, we could. I think, um, I think a lot of alcohol, alcohol gets drunk on those nights. The, people... Yeah. yeah.
2: That's true. true. Well, maybe country music then. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, I, I was just going to throw in real quick. Maybe at the end of the season, the Huskers and Seminoles can can schedule like a, a match to at least cure one fan base's yeah. ills. But <laughs> um, yeah. uh, Doctor shoots another part of your ministry at the John Paul II Healing Center is actually praying for physical healing for for those who come to you all. Um,
3: yeah, uh, physical, emotional, spiritual healing.
2: Spiritual, yeah, and and you have some amazing stories in the book, just like uh, folks you've prayed with. But a question that inevitably comes up, and you address this in an entire chapter, is why isn't everyone healed? Could you talk some about, like, uh, the balance between trusting in God to provide healing for for our ailments, but also having a proper perspective on how uh, divine providence works in our lives?
3: Yeah, and and, uh, let me start with the scripture before I talk about personal experience, because that's a grounding for the church. Uh, It says, everybody who came to Jesus, he healed them but not everybody around Jesus were healed. And so it seems like a uh, an oxymoron. You know, how, which way is it? And the reality is it's both. You know, it's Jesus does heal. He still heals today. In fact, there's more healing that goes on today than happened when he walked the earth, as hard as that is for people to believe. But everybody's not healed. You know, even in the scriptures, people that came to him for healing, some of them suffered for years and years and tried everything. And so we live in that tension between trusting that that Jesus really is present and really does heal uh, at all three levels, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and yet we all die. Uh, and yep. so even when he brings somebody back from the dead, they're going to die eventually. Uh, and, you know, we're going we're gonna to suffer even when we believe in healing and even when we pursue healing. There's still suffering in our life.
1: Um, Dr. Schutz, that, that reminds me of something um, Bud and I uh, in our classes are wanting to do. We, we teach uh, people who are uh, nurses in allied health, You know, either in person or online, like Bud does at Mercy College. And one of the first things I try to tell them is I, I want to relieve them of a great burden that they might have put on themselves, which is the idea that they get into medicine to save lives, yeah. when actually the, we, we have a, a complete zero. We strike out on that. Everyone who <laughs> receives yeah. medicine, eventually yeah. it doesn't work. But that, but people on—terminal patients on their deathbeds can be healed. And so healing and, and, and saving um, start to be different. Yes. I guess—so, yeah. yeah. you know, I, I, we try to throw that out, and I think, you know, kind of throughout the class, like some people get it immediately, but for others that really—we have to do the, the hard spade work of, of making that make sense— um, do you find that there's that there's misunderstandings like that very fundamental to people being open to healing?
3: Yes. Uh, you know, when, when healing is I've got to fix everything and I've got to fix everybody around me, like you're saying, or save everybody around me, then every, nobody wants that burden uh, because it's impossible. But when, when healing is the presence of God's love, however that manifests, then every time we pray with somebody, with a good heart, there's healing that takes place. Every time we we serve somebody, like you're talking about with the nurses, and my wife was a nurse also. Uh, every time you serve somebody and you're and you're loving that person in the service, there's healing that's taking place, because there's communion that's taking place. There's there's transformation that's taking place.
2: You know, um, uh, Doctor Schutz, I think another great point for our listeners that uh, that you touch on in your book. Is um, you point out that a lot of times it's not the actual suffering that's so difficult to bear, but it's the fear that comes with suffering. And, and you point to some evidence that has really borne out in medical studies that fear and anxiety can actually have a, a tremendous impact—not negative impact—on our health because of the connection between body, soul, and spirit. Um, what sort of uh, what sort of thoughts do you have for our listeners in terms of just like how we approach fear in the face of suffering that inevitably is going to uh, find us, so to speak.
3: Yeah, that is so crucial, and I, you know, I can just speak personally. I've had so much fear in my life from because of early suffering that went on in my family uh, that when I approached the whole topic of suffering, my own or anybody else's, there was just fear that would come up. Mm-hmm. And then with my brother's death 20-some years ago and then my dad and my wife's death recently, I was able to walk through all three of them with a with a level of trust that I had never had before, and there, there was really that's where you can rejoice. There's really such joy when you can walk through something like that, and fear just doesn't grip you, because it's fear that causes us to run away, or to medicate, or to and medicate in a sense of a of an addiction or something like that. But it's it's just being able to be present and trusting. There's so many beautiful moments. In the middle of any kind of suffering you know particularly the worst kinds of suffering where people were sick and dying uh, as many people can attest some of the most beautiful moments of connection
1: um dr shoots we're we're getting ready to come up that I and we want to make sure to leave time for you to be able to promote not only your book but different resources you really do a lot and just uh, uh, perusing your website, for instance, and in your your web presence, there really is a lot of people um, need to be made aware of. So I want to save some time for that. But before we get there, if if someone is listening and you know I, I, they're perplexed with fear, like you're saying, or they yeah. they have something like that that's preventing them from even taking the first step in either uh, grieving uh, or or dealing with the suffering themselves. What, what would you say, if you, if you could, like, what, what is a first step some of these people um, can, can do like you and ultimately uh, overcome that blockade of fear so that um, suffering can be transformed, like you say, into healing?
3: Well, in the book, I, I talk about the three models we have for physical, emotional, and spiritual suffering. So uh, Jesus being the model for physical suffering, Mary for emotional suffering, and Peter Simon Peter for spiritual suffering. And so I would say just be able to to have a model of how it's done well in trust uh, gives us a picture of it. And then what does that trust look like? You know, like what did Mary do? She kept her eyes constantly on Jesus and constantly trusting. Uh, and there's no replacement for that. I mean, as soon as we begin to get into trying to rely on ourselves and focus on ourselves and focusing on our ability to fix things, we're going to get into fear. But as we keep, keep focused in a real way on, on Jesus, uh, on the Father, on, on the Holy Spirit, and allow love to be present there, love displaces the fear. So whenever love's present, fear can't be there. Uh, you know, it can't take hold. And so it, it really comes down, that That's simple that staying in a posture of love and a connection with God transforms suffering, and that's where we, we can rejoice.
2: Well, I think to reinforce what you're saying there, for myself and, and Bo, you could probably speak to this a little bit too. In, in the Catholic Church, I found um, so many rich devotional resources for this sort of thing. You know, um, growing up uh, evangelical Protestant, uh, there was there was a lot of hymnody Directed toward Christ, but when you mentioned the Blessed Mother there, I was thinking about something like the Seven sor- Sorrows of Mary, mm-hmm. and just how those can be so um, so healing. Just even as we approach God in prayer for these sorts of things.
3: Yep, very true. Um,
2: so, Doctor Schutz, I would—I mean, to, I'll speak directly to the listeners, to all of you out there. I would really encourage you to um, take a look at this book. It's—it's it's been published right now. Uh, it's out, uh, right, Doctor Schutz?
3: Yeah, as part of a. a, a can be read individually or part of a program through St. Benedict Press, uh, which has a video series to it and really some powerful uh, videos with it. Uh, Also a journal and a workbook.
2: Awesome. So it's something you could probably do as a group. That's real suffering, finding hope and healing in the trials of life. And then as we mentioned, Dr. Schutz, um, you've got the uh, John Paul II Healing Center. And I was wondering if you could... um, Clarify the the website because it's it's jp2healingcenter.org, but it's J right? P yeah, I I, right? Uh, J P I I Healing Center. J P I
3: I Healing Center.org.
2: And it looks like you all do um, some um, some conferences that you host there, and I'm sure you're available for speaking engagements as well.
3: Yeah, we we have conferences all over the country uh, and beyond, and uh, also a lot of resources up there. Besides that resource, we have. Uh, a lot of different conferences that we've done that are available online and people can just click on and just listen to segments to see if there's something that catches them and there's several books that I and others in our ministry have written uh, around this whole issue of healing and and the way that we approach our suffering and trusting God so the the conferences as as you heard in the book are, are really powerful you know just mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of healing takes place for yep. A
1: lot of people. Well, Dr. Schutz, it's been an honor to have you on, and I think a very helpful resource. I really do hope that our listeners, um, especially ones who are going through suffering, will will take advantage of that both the book, both maybe the whole series, uh, and uh, on the, the, the website. So thank you for coming on the show. And, um, you know, uh, since the Seminoles don't have to play <laughs> my team, Oklahoma State, I hope that they do better the rest of the year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Thanks, Bo and Bud. Good, right. good to be with you.
2: Thanks so much. Okay, take
1: care. Bye. So uh, that was, uh, like, like I said, Dr. and but frankly some great stuff, and uh, people need to go uh, take advantage of that. Like we said, since this is Halloween, we're sort of, uh, you know, doing suffering. Uh, we did that the first half. Uh, but then death itself and uh, the memento mori, remembering our own death. So when we get back from our break, we will have uh, Sister Teresa uh, Alethea Noble um, and talking about her book uh, "Remember Your Death: Memento Mori Journal" um, available uh, for pre-order at Pauline.org. This is the Uncommon Good. We will be back after these messages. <laughs> But I know usually at this time we talk about our social media, and we will do that as well. But it's yeah. important to point out for folks that the Iowa Catholic Radio Dinner in December is coming up. It's our annual dinner. December 7th, Friday, 2018, Embassy Suites uh, in downtown Des Moines. 6.30 cocktail hour, 7.15 dinner, 8 p.m. We have our keynote speaker, Dr. Ray Garrindy of EWTN's The Doctor is in. Um, people can go to the website, would, uh Catholic radio.com slash events um, or they can call 515-223-1150 as always uh, to be able to sign up for this event. There's uh, individual tickets and uh, pricing for tables as well um, but you must RSVP in order to get to go. Um, you can also check this out like I said that's iowacatholicradio.com slash events um, our, it's f- featured in our newsletter that you can sign up for there. Um, you can look at us uh, for Facebook uh, just Iowa Catholic Radio on Facebook and at iacatholicradio.com for the tweets if you need to be on the tweeter. This is The Uncommon Good. We'll be back after this.
0: Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Why give to the Catholic Tuition Organization? To help families who want to send their kids to our Catholic schools and just can't afford it. Some donors like to give part or all of their required minimum distribution from their retirement account. The 65% Iowa tax credit you receive are a tax benefit you just don't want to pass up. Ask your tax advisor or contact us online, ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future.
1: Support for the uncommon good is provided by Cartridge World. Cartridge World is an industry leader delivering high-performance printing products that help you save time, money, and print great.
2: Perfect for businesses, home offices, college students, or busy moms trying to find affordable printing supplies including ink, toner, paper, or printers. For business customers, pickup and delivery are available... Products are guaranteed or full replacement. Cartridge World, your low-cost, environmentally
1: friendly printing experts. 801 73rd Street in Windsor Heights, 515-564-7400 and online at cartridgeworld.com.
0: Did somebody say trivia? Get your friends and family together with all that useless knowledge. Iowa Catholic Radio is hosting a Trivia Night at St. Pius the 10th in Urbandale. Reserve your team at iowacatholicradio.com under the event section. Up to 8 people per team, $25 per person. Thursday night, November 15th, 6:30 at St. Pius the 10th. Snacks and beverages will be provided or bring your own. Iowa Catholic Radio Trivia Night, Thursday night, November 15th, at 6:30 at St. Pius the 10th. Get all the details at iowacatholicradio.com
1: we're back with the uncommon good bo bonner dr Boomar. it's the last time i'm saying that bud back with you for our (laughs) halloween (laughs) for our halloween special as we promised suffering the first half hour Death in the second half hour. And folks, we don't have anybody better. Uh, there ain't nobody better to talk about it than the guests we have. St. Teresa, uh, Aletheia, Noble... Um, FSP has a skull on her desk as a Memento Mori. Um, the reason I know her is she's part of that grand universe called Weird Catholic Twitter, uh, where she talks about Memento Mori at Pursued by Truth. And she's the author of Remember Your Death, Memento Mori Journal, that is now available for order at pauline.org. Sister Teresa, thank you for joining the show.
4: Thanks for having me on the show, Bo. And thanks for canonizing me in that intro.
1: Oh, I said saint. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. Well, I'm, 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 you know, you're, you're pretty saintly. I. Yeah. I I have to admit, like, it's weird to, like, see, you know, people on the Twitter universe for a while and then get to actually talk to them in real life. It's always nice to know that people are actually real um, behind uh, the avatars and stuff like this.
4: Yes. I don't know Not if... Not just some AI. That's right. And I don't know <laughs> if,
1: if you would anoint yourself as a weird Catholic Twitter, because usually weird Catholic Twitter is, like, saying truly bizarre things. But I think that you're <laughs> you're the best advertisement for it, because... If you go on Twitter and you find the sort of like Catholics doing a lot of stuff on Twitter, everybody eventually finds your Twitter handle, uh, and, and it's become a thing, right? Like you, if you're not on Twitter, if you're on Twitter and you haven't started following you and your remember your death tweets, I don't even know if you really actually are on Twitter and Catholics. So I, I, I was looking forward to the day to have you on the show. So thank you again for coming on.
4: Thanks for asking me on.
1: So uh, let me get this straight. So I, I've already previewed this with people, right? You've—is this over 400 days or something like this that you, you've had the skull on your desk? Yes. So you know this has become um, a phenomenon. I think it's fair to say, and people really are being reminded of their death through your. You know, you're really an example of using social media well. Uh, that, that we don't always have those examples, uh, but you're turning it into a journal. And so is that f- still for pre-order? Is that, is that releasing sometime this week?
4: Yeah, the, the Memento Mori journal releases this Friday. And it basically came out of this journey that I've made with meditating on my death every day. And it really was something that I, I expected, you know, when I first tweeted about it day one with a skull on my desk I thought, I'll do this for a week or so, and <laughs> <laughs> here I am on day 450-something. But, um, but God had a different plan for it. It was definitely inspired by the Holy Spirit, because a lot of people responded to it. Um, hundreds of people bought skulls for their deaths, started meditating on death, started exploring this rich tradition in the Church that's really been lost for many years, but really has the potential to change people's lives. So it's been exciting to see what God has been planning with
1: this. Well, and, you know, there's multiple things to point out. In fact, there's too much, so I'm, I'm, I'm tripping over myself. Before we get into maybe some of the things you want to, in your own personal journey through this, uh, what happened, do you have any sort of insight as to why you think this has caught on so much? Because like you said, it's one thing to go, I'll do this for a week, or maybe even this helps me out. But I'm sure you weren't expecting all that many people to to really just light up and this be the thing that connect to them. So, have you got the chance to garner why you think it strikes such a chord?
4: It's something that that I've thought about it uh, about. I think there's kind of a Memento Mori zeitgeist in the air right now. You know, I think uh, weekend the rapper has a Memento Mori. Uh, show, hip-hop show. Nice. Um, there's, there's stoics, modern-day stoics, who are really into memento mori and meditating on death. Um, so in the secular world, there's kind of this, this focus on death and meditation on death, and some of it can be nihilistic and, and a little disturbing, but, but some of it is actually based in the Christian idea of, of meditating on death as a way to really to live your life more fully. And uh, secular people think you don't think of it in terms of the afterlife, but for us, it's, it's even a richer um, meditation because it, it incorporates all of the mysteries of our faith. Really, it's kind of an entryway into the mysteries of our faith. And the early Christians recognized this. The church fathers wrote about death all the time and about meditation on death and how Christ has conquered death. And so I think... I think the reason people are responding to it is because, first of all, I think they're a little intrigued. It's a nun, has a skull on her desk, they're just kind of, their curiosity is Mm piqued. But beyond that, I think it is uh, a way for us to preach the gospel message in an unexpected way. And I think everyone can relate to it because everybody dies. And so it really, it really brings the gospel message to this point of immediacy um that people i think respond
2: to uh sister this is uh bud marr uh thanks for being on and before i get to a question i just have to give you props for one of your tweets today where uh, (laughs) apparently on this day you you usually hear nice costume as you're walking down the street or whatnot And i just thought that was that was great with your um with your habit
4: yeah, um, that happens every Halloween. I think to every <laughs> religious inhabit, <laughs> they're co- awesome. they're complimented on their great costume. <laughs> yeah, like, thanks. Yeah, I wear this every day.
2: <laughs> well, last la- <laughs> yeah, la- yeah, that's a great like vocation. Um, yeah,
4: drive. right. <laughs>
2: um, last week we had on a guest and we talked about evangelism. And I'm guessing if you put a skull on your desk, especially if you work, um, maybe like in if you're not in ministry or like a parachurch organization. That's going to be a natural conversation starter. Have you found that to to be true?
4: Yeah actually a lot of people have said that a lot of people have said yeah i put a skull on my desk at work and people have been weirded out or it started conversations or and actually some people have said sister i really want to meditate on my desk but i i can't get a skull from my desk people will think that's just too weird so what else can i do so um so that was actually what, what the projects came out of i i just i wanted to help people to not just through I, I, my daily tweets, but really to enter into the richness of this tradition in the church. And so that's, that's one, one um, inspiration for doing the moment journal and the Lenten devotional. Cause I, I wanted to help people understand that this isn't like some new fad that sister Teresa Alethea made up, but this is really a rich tradition in the church that goes back to the beginning of salvation history. When God said to Adam and Eve, when they left the garden, remember you are dust and to dust you shall return. This is, this is something that echoes throughout scripture and is really, really should be a part of our spiritual life.
1: Sister, so one of the things, uh, not only with that, and like, I love this idea of like, there's such a great question. I can't put a skull on my desk, so what can I do instead? I just love it. But but the other thing that I find interesting is, so we have a lot, you know, we have the youth synod going on. We have, I, you know, the work that I do, people are constantly like, how do we get the youth involved? How do we get the youth involved? Um, You know, engaged. And I just think it's great that. It really is a lot of young people who are really intrigued by the skulls. And this will sound like a, a, a story that's not directly related, but it, it, I promise it will <laughs> illustrate it. There was a coach in Oklahoma that, like, bashed Twitter, and everyone was like, how do, can he do that when ex- exactly who he's going after is the kids? And I'm like, that's all kids do is they get on Twitter and bash Twitter. It's, like, one of the things <laughs> they do, right? Like, yeah. part of the fun of Twitter is hating the fact that you're posting on Twitter. And, and, and they're real – like, so you talk about the zeitgeist – And it really does strike me that this really is something that I think maybe not everyone, but quite a few people over 45 (laughs) might be genuinely like, really, the kids are under the skulls? But if you teach college kids, bud, you could tell me the same thing. I I, I totally understand why this generation would be into this. It, It really is getting to something like raw and authentic that I think a lot of them think has been deprived of them. Whether they're, especially if they're Catholic, but even if they're secular, I don't know. Do you think I'm off on this one, or is that exactly maybe why like there's uh the the, the this was just something waiting to be uh, utilized for for evangelization?
4: No, I really think you're right on. I think that this this um this this practice it really gets to the core of things, and it's kind of jolting and frightening in a way. And I think this generation of young people are, they're really used to kind of helicopter parenting or everyone kind of sh- trying to shelter them or protect them from the world. And this is really, you're going to die one day. Like, think about that. and Boom. And live your life accordingly. <laughs> <Yeah>. Boom. And <laughs> a lot of times in evangelization, sometimes we, we shy away from the strong messages. Like, oh, people aren't going to, they're not going to like that, or it's going to be too scary, or... And actually, I, I think young people are hungering for the truth, the raw reality, no matter how frightening or jolting or shocking it is, they want to know it. And even if they don't quite believe what you're saying, they kind of give you props for saying it, you know? Right. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I think they're responding to the raw authenticity of it. And I think young people respond to authenticity and they, and they respond to people kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt and just telling them the truth.
2: So, sister, in your own life, as you've been, um, uh, since the time that you've had the skull on the desk and started this daily reflection um, on death, how how has this kind of transformed or impacted your spiritual journey? Like what, um, how how maybe has it changed, like, even the, your, the, the way you view the world on a daily basis?
4: I... To, uh, to be honest, I had no idea this was going to have such an impact on my spiritual life, but it, it really—I—I can—I cannot underemphasize it. I, like emphasize it enough. It's—it's it's just changed my life um and and mainly because i i just think about my life in a different context and maybe i should have done that when i first entered the convent but (laughs) (laughs) you know i just i think a lot of christians are where i was when i entered the convent you believe in god you go to church you can be even really really pumped about your faith but you're not totally understanding the fuller context and i think um I, I think, to be honest, I believed in God, but did I really believe in heaven? I think I was a little skeptical about that, and meditating on death has has really been a meditation on God because what's after death is heaven, and that's union with God. so it's all about God, meditation on death, and really thinking about your life in terms of union with God now beginning it now but also in the afterlife and so it just it just kind of puts this urgency uh, and it's not a frightening kind of urgency it's a holy urgency behind my decisions when i make a decision and i and i actually do what saint ignatius encouraged people to do was if you're making a decision you you can't decide what to do imagine yourself on your deathbed Mm. That's pretty intense, but, yeah, man, it really helps. <laughs> you know, like, do I really want to do this? Oh, imagine myself on my deathbed. That really helps me to make better decisions and to really have an urgency behind it because we don't know when we're going to die. We really don't. We plan for dying in old age, but we could die tomorrow. We do, do not know when we're going to die. So meditation on death is really crucial. You, can, you can't begin too early.
1: You know, one of the things that strikes me, so this is the uncommon good, right? So we always try to find the 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 element of what we talk about, you know, society as a whole, Catholic social teaching. So maybe if someone goes like, well, how does Memento Mori really deal with the, the, the body politic or the body of the church, Bo? But I immediately think, right, you know, now, you know, when you get skulls on your desk, um, they're probably reproduction or something like that, but when like Jerome and Saint Jerome has a skull that's a dude who died right that's right. that is another person and the more you start thinking about the fact that you will die you start to realize right that you're going that you're a citizen of a place now but when you're dead you're going to join a citizenship that is the biggest citizenship of all humans which is the dead right and, and when you think about something like how uh maybe Hispanic cultures do the Day of the Dead, and like people are running around in in skeletons, and like some people go isn't that frightening and then you go like, "Well, no, think about this right like when if if my kid dresses up as you know like John Wayne or something like that they they have someone in mind that they're dressing up in, and to dress up as a skull is just to say like, yeah, you know th- there's this huge group of humans out that that, that, that outnumber the living humans." and and i belong to them right like they're not cut off from me this is a a continuity and so there's a way in which even dwelling on your death looking at that skull is to say someday in in the in the the, the sweep of time someday soon i'm going to join a citizenship that's actually much larger and permanent than the one i currently belong to and i think that that's why this isn't so to speak just individual, existential, and inclusive, it, it really does open us out into a larger field of understanding.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's an entryway where we can understand what the gospel means for us personally, but then, like you just said, it's really an entryway into the community of saints and into... Um, Praying for the holy souls in purgatory, and I mean that's that's a reason why my book is coming out on November 2nd. The journal is coming out on November 2nd because this nice. is about this is about the communion of saints. This is about living for heaven. This is, this is about a community, but sometimes we have to understand what it means for us personally before we can understand what it means for us communi- communally. And I think that's kind of what the skull is. is Symbolizes. When I look at that skull, I think of my own skull, you know, and sometimes people criticize me for using skull imagery, but this, this goes back, way back. If you go over, over to Rome, you'll see tons of skull imagery and memento moris all over the place in cathedrals and churches. This, this is our history. This is our tradition. Um, this kind of brutal imagery of, this is in my head. Mm. This is the skull in my head. This is what's going to be in my coffin, you know, when I die. And this is what's going to be re- what God is going to raise on the resurrection of the dead. So mm-hmm. it brings all of the last things kind of into 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 view and into and helps you to really meditate on them in a concrete way.
2: Yeah, um, I guess this is a question for both of you, but I, Bo, you know this better than I do. There's a there's a, a monastic church in Italy, I believe, that's made like made up of skulls, right?
1: Yeah, I actually think it's in Eastern Europe, but yeah, like oh, yeah.
2: totally of skulls. Yes. What do you What do you both think about like um, underwriting uh, the construction of a church here in the states? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, because, I, I I think there's what, probably what some laws like, that are going to
2: like worry about that one. Yeah. No, but sister, um, I don't I don't know if I have a good question in this regard. But when you were talking about evangelism um, a few minutes ago, I think this ties into where Bo was saying like this resonates with young people. Um, Bo and I have both um, been impacted by an essay by Joseph Bottom where he calls death and it's entitled death and politics. But he tells the whole history of San Francisco basically removing graves from its city limits. So like in San Francisco now, inside the city proper, there's no burial grounds. But it feels to me like there's kind of a vacuum in our society where as human beings, we need training in how to die well. And yet, death is really, wouldn't you say, like pushed to the, the borders of our society where it's pretty uncommon for, like Bo was saying, in the small town that he grew up in, you would go to the funeral of certainly like cousins, but even um, friends and acquaintances, you would take off work. And um, a lot of my students say it feels like uh, they've maybe been to one or two, like grandparents maybe. But beyond that, we don't have a lot of contact with those who are dying.
4: Yeah, I think death is really sanitized in our culture, and I think that's why meditation on death is something that people respond to, because, you know, in medieval times when the momentum war kind of had its heyday, people were dying left and right, like you just never knew when you were going to die because of the plague, and people just died young. And so death was, was omnipresent, and so meditation on death was just kind of the air you breathed, it was natural, you just did it, you knew you were going to die. Now, I think it's easier for us to kind of repress our anxiety about death and and to actually kind of make ourselves live as if we're not going to die. And I think a lot of people live that way. You know, we know intellectually we're going to die, but we don't bring it to mind and we don't think about it and we repress that reality. And it's easier to do because, you know, there's funerals or a closed casket, just it's sanitized and kind of hidden in our society in a way that i think is kind of unprecedented in in history so so i think when people are reminded of death first of all i think it's more frightening because they haven't been able to really work it through in in a way that that people in previous times were able to mm. but also i th- i think it also jolts them into the realization that it needs to be worked through otherwise you're kind of sublimating this fear and anxiety and it's going to come out in your life in other ways. No,
1: I think that's a great way to think about it. I think that's why we're all obsessed with being haunted by death. I mean, I think we're haunted by death. Whereas like yeah. you said, people in the past, like just dealt with it. It was a reality. We're haunted with it. We've pushed it to the sides. And so now every shadow we're like afraid of it. um coming out. The The, the last thing I'll, I'll point out sister is like uh, the, the group of people I know who are doing your work the best um, are my kids, who frankly are so okay talking about death? Even I'm like, you know, and i have kind of I, I'm I'm the perpetrator of this, right? We go to graveyards and pray, and I, I've wanted them to not have these neuroses, but like, oh man, the little one, the five year old, he talks about death and possible deaths like it's one of those deals where I have watched too many horror movies, and I'm all like, does he know something? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, What if we all die in a car? And I'm like, Let's oh, I don't know. And so anyway, especially his mom who's currently pregnant is like, Can you stop with the death talk for just a few months? <laughs> um So I guess I'm just throwing that out to say that it's not impossible for us to make headway. It it literally is just about putting yep. it, like you said, in the air, and my creepy children are a, a perfect example of this. So, uh, well, sister, we're running out of time. I, w- I really wish we could uh, talk to you more, but where can people go both to follow you uh, and maybe you know look at these tweets, and then um, where can they go find the book that is, like you, you pointed out so wonderfully, being released on All Souls Day this Friday?
4: So you can find me on social media, Pursued by Truth. And you can also find the books at com forward slash books or at pauline.org.
1: Well, Sister, uh, like I said, Sister Teresa, uh, Teresa, not Saint, Sister Teresa, mm-hmm. Alathea Noble, uh, thank you so much for coming. And I, I can't encourage people enough uh, to follow you. And uh, thank you for the great work you're doing. And thank you for making time to come on our show.
4: Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks, Sister.
1: Well, Bud, uh, we, we've got to the end of our time here, um, so I'm going to say our sign-off, and then we'll... we'll uh, uh, but People, have a wonderful um, Halloween, uh, all saints and all souls, and remember to pray for the dead, pray for the dead, pray for the dead. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, in our families, in our graveyards, in our city, our state, our nation, the world, the galaxy. This is The Uncommon Good. We'll be back next week. But again, pressing time uh, because we just yep. had uh, too many neat things to say with people. But I, I can't reiterate enough. Iowa Catholic Radio, dinner in December, uh, Friday, December 7th, 2018, at Embassy Suites. Uh, 6.30 cocktail hour, 7.15 dinner, and 8 p.m. keynote speaker, Dr. Ray Gurindy of EWTN's The Doctor is in. People can go to iowacatholicradio.com slash events. That's the big one. We want to thank people who gave uh, the Carathon a few weeks back, um, but uh, we still make sure you know this. We would always accept your money, not because uh, we're that type of people, but really this is a ministry, and it's not only the people on the, the mics or behind the boards that are the ministry You are the ministers that allow this to happen by supporting our show. We want to say thank you very much. Um, But if people want to be part of Iowa Catholic Radio, what else can they do?
2: Besides all of our great programming and regular shows, if you're an early bird, you can start with the rosary at 5.30 a.m. If you're a night owl, uh, the rosary, again, is prayed at 9.30 p.m., followed by a gospel reflection by Father Andrew Winchittle.
1: So uh yeah bud uh you, you know we we got done getting our candy so we're going to be you know doing our best to uh climb that long road to diabetes with everything that our kids got but uh I hope you guys have happy hunting with your Halloween and uh tell everyone in Pittsburgh hi for us uh and uh you know you don't you don't dress up right
2: I do I wear a scary mask just real quickly Bo, cuz oh, okay. you you mentioned the church um in Czech Republic I had in mind Santa Maria della Uh. Ah. in in Rome, and it's it's a similar kind of ossuary. But it's a great kind of sign-off for today. Above the like when you enter the church, it has a sign that says, What you are now, we once were. What we are now, you shall one day be. Memento mori.
1: This is the uncommon good. We'll see
0: you next week. All right. The Uncommon Good with Bob Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcasts. Just search for The Uncommon Good.